then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Hello there and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. It is Tuesday, January the 23rd, about 9.20 a.m. Central Time. I am Rob Howe. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate everybody out there, especially the folks that took the time to send in questions today. A lot going on, as usual, uh, in the Hawkeye sports world. Um, Iowa women lost on Sunday. Tough loss at Ohio State uh, in overtime. Uh, Really good game. Fun game to watch. National TV. I think that was a excellent representation of the sport where it's it where it stands now and uh hopefully some folks that don't normally watch women's basketball and we're waiting for the nfl game pregame to come on playoff pregame to come on had a chance to watch that and appreciate uh the great sport that it is and the entertaining sport that it is um seemed like more of the attention after the game was focused on the collision between a what appeared to be an Ohio State student storming the court, running in the Caitlin Clark, knocking her over, um, and that's basically created a two two day uh, pissing match on Twitter X, which is now the norm for that platform. It's just outrage and drama, and what can we be pissed about today? And uh, I have a question in the queue about court storming, which I will get to uh, in a minute or when we start to get into the questions. I won't take a lot of time leading into this because we have enough questions to carry us uh, and appreciate that. But uh, this is my take on it. If you watch the video from different angles, I don't think it w- Caitlin was faking anything. Um, that's been the charge that it was dramatic and she flopped and all that. I think this is, you know, athletes at that level, athletes that are that competitive, they are locked in when they're on the court. And that game had just ended. And if you watch the game, she gets fouled pretty much every time she has the ball. They can't call them all. But she has gotten to the point now where when she receives contact, especially hard contact, she reacts to that in a way to sell it even more um, because she's trying to get as many fouls called as she can. It almost seemed like in that instance, that's what happened, but there was a decent, um, there were, there was a decent amount of force in the, in the contact between her and the student. So I don't think it was just like she barely got hit and, and flopped. I think she took a pretty good shot and then 
sold it even more being on the basketball court because that's what she's used to doing when she's out there. And uh, she just got, you know, it was a tough loss. It was the first time they lost since before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I'm sure her her mind was swimming, but uh, I think I think the reaction on social media and the fighting and everything that comes with that, um, I, I think more focus should have been on the actual game itself and what happened to Iowa in that situation where the other team had a productive post player, Hannah Stolke still injured, struggled with foul trouble, and Iowa didn't have an answer after that. Um, and then Iowa also defending the three-point line can be shaky at times as well. And uh, I saw, I thought we saw that play out. But Ohio State played pretty much as well as it could uh, and still took overtime to beat Iowa. So not a, an alarming loss for me at all. Um, I thought it would be a hard game that would go would be a coin flip, could go either way. Um, and that's life on the Big Ten or on the road in the Big Ten. It's sold out arenas now. Um, and a lot of those people came in to watch Caitlin Clark, but when came, push came to shove and it was Ohio State <laughs> versus Iowa, they were the people from Columbus were rooting for Ohio State at the end of the game. Makes it a tough environment, and that's what happened. The men had a shot at uh, taking down number two Purdue on Saturday, and that did not happen. Iowa played well at times, stayed within striking distance for most of the game, just could not pull it out. Zach Eady was just too much. Iowa did not have an answer for that. He was getting, he got Ben Cricky and uh, Owen Freeman into foul trouble in the first half. Um, that's just a tough matchup for everybody, but especially Iowa, which is a bit undersized um, and doesn't know how to have a lot of depth in the front court. And Patrick McCaffrey was out and Lajay Dembele got hurt. Um, and we'll talk about them in a second. Uh, another question in the queue on them. Uh, Iowa wrestling. Uh, rolled last weekend as well. So things going well there towards the early February duel in Carver-Hawkeye Arena against Penn State. Coffee sip. And what else has happened since the last time we talked on this? Beth Getz was named permanent athletic director. We talked about that in depth on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast on Thursday, last this past Thursday. Probably talking more about it this Thursday. She has a press conference set for this afternoon. We'll see if that comes off. Iowa City schools were canceled today. Roads appear to be a little bit icy and uh, precipitation in the area for not a change. It's been doing this for a few weeks. But uh, it is winter in Iowa and to be expected. Um, still no... Um, offensive coordinator named as of now. Uh, obviously, it's early in the day, and that could happen today. I'll check my email just to make sure nothing has come through. Uh, I would think with Beth having her press conference today um, that Iowa would not announce a offensive coordinator today um, and have two, uh, two news events at the same time, so. Uh, I wouldn't expect something today, but you never know. It's hard to predict with these things. But uh, And then lastly, and I know we have a few questions about it as well, uh, the news uh, that Caden Proctor went into the transfer portal and quickly came out of the other side at Iowa. Uh, that 
was made final on Saturday. He was at Carver Hawkeye Arena for the basketball game. Uh, I wrote about uh, kind of looking at what Iowa has on its offensive line experience wise and how things may shake out in terms of alignment. Uh, you can check uh, Rob Howe HN on Twitter X to find that article. Um, I think that's enough of uh, a lead in. Let's uh, let's take a look at your questions. Uh, this one comes from Glotendo Switch at Glotendo Switch on Twitter. I don't know what Glotendo, Sw- Glotendo Switch is, but I know, do know that this is Drake Timbers. And uh, he goes by aliases, but we, we know him as Drake Timbers. Will Iowa find optimal balance once Liddell Betts is elevated to special teams coordinator and LeVar Woods to offensive coordinator, like the ending to Jane Austen's Mansfield Park when Franny Price and Edmund Bertram are elevated as the property's newest patricians. Um, again, for the uninitiated, uh, we get some uh, existential, deep thought additions to the sports questions from Drake Timbers. So I'll focus on the sports side of this and not the analogy comparison part of it. Um, I've heard some people throw that out. And again, as we go down this road, it is now, as I said, at the top of the podcast, it is now January 23rd and Kirk Ferentz still has not named an offensive coordinator. We're now almost at three months since Brian Fer- it was announced Brian Ferentz wouldn't be back. That was October 30th. And he still has not named an offensive coordinator. Now, maybe he knows who it is. I said this last week. Maybe it's somebody in the NFL playoffs that he has to wait on. I don't know. Um, But the longer this goes, and again, my stance on this, as long as he gets the right guy, I don't care when he gets him. Um, And we won't know that until they actually start playing games. So anything before that is just, you know, analysis, um, evaluation. We're all going to do it as, you know, sports writers and fans. We're going to, we're going to grade the hire, no matter who it is. And we're going to act like we know what's going to happen, but really it doesn't matter. And I said this with Scott on the hotspot podcast the other day, you know, we were told at least the last, after the last two seasons, when Iowa was historically bad on offense and among the worst in the country, how things were going to be better. And they weren't. And I'm not buying that anymore, no matter who they bring in. I want to see it on the field and the progress on the field. Until then, to me, it's it's a non-starter. I don't care who it is until we find out how that person fits in here and works with the current staff, including the head coach, in terms of coordinating and coaching offense. But I digress. Will LeVar Woods be a good offensive coordinator? I have no idea. I don't know. I've not talked to him about, you know, what his goals are. I think he wants to be a head coach at some point. Um, Obviously, offensive coordinator um, is a promotion from special teams coordinator. I'm sure he would take that. Um, He's never called plays as far as I know. Um, but Brian hadn't either when he took over and that's not exactly a ringing endorsement seeing how Brian did, uh, having not called plays before. So, um, it's an interesting, um, thought. It's an interesting idea. 
to promote from within. And then that would leave you with hiring a running back, running backs coach. If you promoted LeVar and Liddell, uh, two former Hawkeyes who, you know, again, I think it would be met with a lot of skepticism, although LeVar and Liddell are both, both very well liked and so far in their careers have succeeded as coaches. But, uh, I don't know. Again, it's going to be which, who is the person that can work with Kirk Ferentz within the framework of his philosophy of complementary football to win? And that's basically until we see that work, it's going to be hard to know um, who's going to work. It could be LeVar for all we know. I don't know. Um, but we sit and we wait. I'll check my email again. Nope, no announcement. Uh, I have a feeling that's not going to change during this podcast, but I'll do that just as a bit anyway. Um, Trip Manfro at PFAC. Um, these are from uh, last week, by the way, so good time for that PSA. Hashtag HF mail, fire away anytime between the two recordings. I'll record again uh, next Tuesday, which will be the 30th. Um, that will be the next mailbag podcast. So when I close this one out, um, the floor remains open until next Tuesday when I record again for questions, comments, fire my way using the hashtag HFmail. I go back, find them, start where I left off the previous week and uh, pick up there and what I've done. And that was what I did with Drake Timber's uh, question about Liddell Betts and LeVar Woods. And now Tripp asks, what kind of revolt do you anticipate if John Budmeyer is named the offensive coordinator? Two offensive coordinator questions right out of the gate um, who would have thought? It's not It's not like it's on anybody's minds uh, <laughs> in Hawkeye Nation, right? Coffee sip? Um, it would not go well. And I think that's mostly not, again, not that John couldn't do the job. I don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe he's the guy that could work hand-in-hand hand with Kirk Ferentz on offense and Having been around here, he has an understanding of what needs to happen. Maybe he's, maybe he is the guy that can make it work. I don't know. Um, I just know that he has been Brian Ferentz's right hand man the last few seasons, and that has not worked. He's been Brian's, um, I don't say tutor, but just kind of guidance when it comes to quarterback coaching. Um, Cause Brian had no experience in that. I don't know how much input he had at, in actual game planning or the personnel and things like that. No idea what his involvement was there. So um, I couldn't say um, he may very well be the right guy for the job, but I don't think it would go over well. But again, the, the court of public opinion here will mean something um, in terms of um Ticket sales, things like that. Uh, can you inspire the fan base to go out and buy football tickets if you have an uninspiring offensive coordinator hire? Possibly, um, because I talked about it last week. Iowa football is not just the football game. It's the social event of tailgating, hanging out with your friends before and after the game. You know, it's, it's, it's what – People budget, we work into their budgets uh, as Iowa football, as as entertainment. You know, maybe that that's the part of their entertainment budget that they use um, 
a lot of their budget on. I don't know. But I know that the the stadium is usually sold out, if not very close to sold out. And I would anticipate it probably will be again this year to a degree. But I also think people will take a wait-and-see approach um, and an uninspiring offensive coordinator hire is going to have more people wait and see than buy in right away. And I don't know, Paul Christ, Joe Philbin, whoever that, you know, Paul Christ has apparently pulled his name out of the running reports that he was offered the job and declined it. None of that stuff has been um, documented. None of that stuff has been confirmed publicly. So it's really, again, it's just this process of finding and naming an offensive coordinator for Kirk Ferentz taking three months creates this this vacuum of speculation of that has been just comical at times right Scott Frost's name being put out there as a serious candidate to join Kirk Ferentz I mean think about that people bought into that um as a possibility and it's insanity but that's those are the type of things those are the type of storylines. That's the type of speculation that happens when these things drag out. Is that Kirk Ferentz's fault? Not really. I mean, he's just trying to find the best guy for the job. I don't know what the process has been like. We haven't had, we've had like basically no transparency other than him talking about it before he went to the bowl game and a little bit when he got down there about, you know, whoever it is needs to buy into complimentary football. No shit. We all knew that anyway. So nothing that's not you know breaking news and so it's more the the climate now of people wanting information as fast as possible and when you have an old school guy like Kirk Ferentz who's going to be deliberate and take his time through this whole process that creates speculation um, rumors what have you about who the person is going to be. And until it stops, until that question is answered, who the offensive coordinator is going to be, anticipate that there's going to be more speculation and rumors thrown out there until it ends. And uh, I don't know, maybe there'll be a 30 for 30 on the search for Iowa's next offensive coordinator after Brian Ferentz someday. And we'll know all the ins and outs of what happened with Paul Christ and anybody else who was a candidate for the position. Um, trip is back with, um, I looked again and can't find the 2024 citrus bowl, cheese it bowl swag bag contents must have been a box of cheese. It's that were removed from the press box, branded hat and a hoodie. It's a good question. Trip. I have, I apologize. I know you've asked this question a couple times and I have not had access to any players to ask them what they got, but I promise you. When uh, we have access to players again for interviews, I will ask what was in the Cheez-It swag bag bowl. Actually, um, I'll try to dig around. Maybe I can ask somebody's somebody's parents, mom or dad, what they got. Maybe they know or can find out for me. (laughs) Excuse me, but I'll try to get back to you on that if I'm able to find uh, what that might be. Uh, Jesse Lucier at Jesse Lucier on Twitter Caitlin Clark Court at Carver Hawkeye Arena has a nice ring to it, right? Also, how long do you think it will take for a statue of her to be built after she leaves for the WNBA? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, she's creating a legacy here. Um, 
that's already, you know, on a level we haven't seen before. So anything that happens to honor her once her career here is done, her playing career here is done, would not surprise me. Statue, obviously, she's going to have her number retired. Not her jersey. Her number will be retired. So I would be surprised if anybody wears number 22 again in an Iowa Hawkeye uniform. Um, So she'll have her number retired, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. It's now Mediacom Court at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. And why do we think it's Mediacom Court at Carver-Hawkeye Arena? Because Mediacom pays a shitload of money uh, to have its name and its brand on the court. So uh, that would be the consideration there of Iowa having to, uh, you know, not sell the rights, not do away with that income that they get for naming the court after a company. Um, they don't do that for Kinnick Stadium yet, but I could certainly see um, Kinnick Stadium eventually being sponsored. Um, and we have Duke Slater Field. Um, so, you know, we have different areas of the stadium. Is it is it the, the Pacia North End Zone Room? I know there's some some people who donated money who have their names on different areas of car or uh Kinnick Stadium as well. Um, I think there may be, uh, I know there's the Feller room upstairs uh, in Carver Hawkeye Arena where there are press conferences, where, where Beth Getz will have her press conference today if it comes off. Um, so there, so people pay money for different things being named after them, different areas of the arenas and the stadiums and things like that. I th- certainly think she's worthy of Caitlin Clark Court, um, but I think that would something that would probably happen farther down the line um, because um, again, I was making money from Mediacom on that, but um, and a statue, I think uh, certainly would not be surprising either. So good suggestions there. And I think, uh, I think we will have our answers uh, within the next decade or two, uh, how they honor her. I would think that her number will be retired very shortly after she's done here. Kind of like, what happened with Megan Gustafson. I think it was the year after she finished playing here that they lifted her numbers to number to the rafter. And uh, I would expect the same with Caitlin when she's done. Uh, Drake Timbers is back. Any insight if Nick's, Nick Brooks has enough high school credits to reclassify for the 24 class? I have not heard that. Um, and the young man has decommitted. Um from Iowa and looking around, I think Iowa coaches were up to visit him recently, um, as were other coaches from around the country. For those that don't know, Nick Brooks is a junior offensive lineman in the 2025 class at Cedar Rapids Kennedy. Uh, he had committed to uh, Iowa football and then backed off that commitment. So um, he is on the open market. I don't know. I mean, uh, again, I, I would be speaking, just speculating uh, on that, but I think he would probably want to know where he's going before he reclassified, and I have no idea what his credit situation is up there. Uh, I've not talked to Brian White, the coach up there, since we were up there for the announcement that he was committing to Iowa. So I do not and cannot help you in that area, Drake, but I'll uh, I'll look around and 
ask around and see if I can't find out. Uh, Kevin Melkert at KMelkert91 on Twitter, and this is from the 21st, which was Sunday. How much pressure is on George Barnett? He is the offensive line coach for Iowa football, for those that don't know. I I would assume most of you do, but I always like to uh, add that information where possible. His unit's performance has been underwhelming in his three years. Now he has four upperclassmen starters and a five-star. No more excuses, in my opinion. Um, I don't know how much pressure is on him. I would think that some should be on him for the for uh, the you know the the points that you have stated, which is that it it has underperformed. Um, I get the sense that it was better this year, but it had to be better than the previous year. Um, but I think it's just part of the problem, the offensive line in the disaster that is Iowa's offense. It's, you know, do you need a mobile quarterback? Do you need some, you know, receivers that can stretch the field to get guys out of the box? Are there, are there more defenders than the offensive line can block because of Iowa's inability to stretch the field for Iowa's, lack of a mobile quarterback, things like that, um, that forced the defense to have to react, whereas Iowa doesn't force that, and that puts more pressure on its offensive line. Now, I'm not making excuses. Iowa's offensive line has not been good. If you buy into analytics, um, and by analytics I mean pro football focus, they grade performances, they use metrics, analytics to compare players. Iowa's offensive line play last year was bad. Not good at all. And you're and I'm talking about guys that were there start to finish. Um is that the is that the players? Is that the coaches? Well it's it's everything, right? Everybody needs to be better. But I wrote about this yesterday again, Rob Howe HN on Twitter. You can find the story there. It's at a different website than what I'm recording this podcast for, so I will not send you there out of respect for the person who's paying me for this, uh, kind of the structure of our work these days. But I wrote about the experience level. It's 100 and I think it's 100 and is it 166, 100 and 169, the eight players that are coming back on Iowa's offense or are on the roster right now and it for, on Iowa's offensive line, the eight most experienced players have a combined 169 college starts. That is a shitload. And by the eight players, I'm talking about Mason Richmond. He has 39 starts. Connor Colby has 37. Logan Jones, 27. Jennings Dunker, I think, has uh, 15, um, Nick DeYoung has 24, Ellsbury has 3, Bo Stevens has 10. Then, of course, Caden Proctor started 14 at Alabama last year. So, yeah. the And then, uh, in addition to that, you're practicing it against one of the better defensive lines that you'll see all season every day in practice in Iowa's defensive line. There's just – there's no excuse. There really is. Iowa's offensive line should – be to the point where it can dominate and overcome number disadvantages this next season. Not regularly and not, you know, or I shouldn't say regularly, they should be able to do that. Not absolutely. There are going to be times where 
it's just too hard to pick everybody up unless Iowa, unless Cade McNamara comes back and has some mobility and can move the pocket and keep plays live off schedule. And if Iowa has receivers that can stretch the field, if it doesn't, then it's going to be difficult for the offensive line again, not saying it can't overcome those challenges, but it makes it that much harder to do that when the numbers don't match up and you're not a threat offensively. Uh, let's see here. We have a couple more here before we take our break. Um, Trip Manfro at PFAC 51 back again. Worst press box, basketball arena st- edition. Sight lines, amenities, electricity, Wi-Fi, food. Um, I don't travel much for basketball anymore, Trip. So this is uh, this could be dated. Uh, but Indiana used to be the best. We used to sit courtside in Indiana. Um, this is over 20 years ago, though. Um, but I was courtside. I worked at the Press Citizen then. I was courtside for the game. Steve Alford's return to um, – Indiana, where Bobby Knight came out of the the uh, the other tunnel that 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 Steve Alford and his dad were expecting uh, Bob to come out of, he came out of another one and scared the shit out of him, and uh, that was right across from me, and I can remember that I can still see it vividly in my mind when I think back to that. Um, but those were great; those were great seats uh, mid court at you know, an assembly hall for basketball and and that environment was tremendous. Um, They've changed through the years um, and moved around. Uh, Wisconsin used to be on the floor. Now it's up uh, kind of in between the two levels of the arena at the Kohl Center. Um, I think for basketball, though, Indiana is bad now. They put you up like in the bleachers behind the student section, which – is not a good area to be when you're trying to report on a game and watch a game. Um, and I was thinking, I was trying to think of another one. Um, I had another one when I saw your question uh, this morning, and now it's escaping me. Uh, Illinois is usually pretty good. Northwestern is, eh. None of them are really great anymore. Oh, Williams Arena in Minnesota. That sucks. They... um there were times back again, back in the day where I used to sit, I have the raised floor at Williams and they used to put us courtside, but you, your seat was down like where the players sit, like the coaches sit up on the court and the players sit down below the raised court and have to come up steps to get into the, like check into the game. But I don't know when it was, but it's been, it's been a while now. They moved us up to the top of the arena. Like you have to climb these steps, almost like a ladder up into this catwalk. And you are far away from the court, as far as you can be in an old arena like that. And it's it it doesn't seem safe to me. I'm sure it probably is. But it's one of those spots where you're sitting and going, what if this thing falls? It's shaking. <laughs> what if this is not stable? But I would say probably Indiana and Minnesota may be the worst um, that I can think of. Most of the other ones are are pretty accommodating for the most part and the other stuff you know the electricity's amenities wi-fi food pales in comparison to me of being able to watch the game and then having a post game area that is accessible and easy to find and uh most of them do that most of them are pretty accommodating but i would probably say assembly hall and williams arena on the basketball side football wise 
Um, Penn State sucks. They've pretty much renovated every part of that stadium but the area where the press sits. It's just archaic. And uh, that's pretty much it. I'm trying to think of – oh, uh, again, not to bag on Indiana, but Memorial Stadium in Indiana, old, just – you're waiting for like a rat to run out from underneath your seat or something and grab a piece of pizza or some other of the shitty food that they serve uh, down there. But yeah, Indiana football also not good. All right. I'll do one more here before we take a break. Uh, Kevin Melker is back at K Melker 91 initial thoughts on Keith Murphy's reporting on the gambling investigation, any thoughts or insight that you have now, Kevin, it's pretty much what we have been hearing. Um, coaches talk about somebody should dig into this and find out what how this started how this gambling investigation started why were the Iowa and Iowa State athletes targeted why wasn't it um you know why well not why not kids at Drake and UNI or anywhere else in the country and all of those were legit questions and I'll be honest with you I haven't dug into what has been reported on this so far other than a lawyer a lawyer is claiming that the information was obtained without any type of warrant. The information on the gambling at the at, for Iowa and Iowa State, and obviously Hunter Decker's the quarterback at Iowa State is probably the most visible um, player affected by the investigation and what was found. And then also uh, Noah Shannon at Iowa, very well documented, heavily reported on. Um, and I feel bad for those guys um, to lose college eligibility, to lose um, um, part of their, you know, what they do, their career, what they're hoping to have a career in. I get all that. Um, but again, and, I, and I'll maintain this, if what they did was something they weren't supposed to be doing, um, yeah, you have to go through the proper channels. You have to have a warrant. It can't be a rogue investigation. Um could they have obtained this information with a warrant and they just skipped that step? Um, again, I don't, I haven't read into this as much of, and I don't think anything is to right now. So far, it seems like it's a lawyer claiming this. We still have to let the process play out, right? We have to let, you know, um, if this goes to court, if somebody, you know, if the DCI is found, uh, in, to be in the wrong here, uh, which at least according to the lawyer that is uh, representing one of the Iowa State players, that appears to be the case. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, it's unfortunate that it happened here, and it's unfortunate if the process was done illegally, and that's the reason that they were – because if it was done illegally, that – leads me to believe that it couldn't have been done legally, but I don't know that. Could they have gotten the warrant and it would have happened and the same results would have happened? I don't know. Well, I mean, I'll let that play out in court. Um, the whole situation is unfortunate. I think the, the punishment overstepped the crime, so to speak, or the gambling that was not supposed to, you know, you can't gamble on, athletics at your own school that was the 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 kids that got punished the harshest were kids that bet on sports at their own school and 
Scott and I have talked about that ad nauseum on the Hotspot podcast about why that is a slippery slope and why that has to be guarded against. Um, but there are a lot of layers to this and a lot of things that can be true. I think it's just too early in this latest part of the news to really have a conclusion yet or an opinion on a conclusion. I would rather let it play out and see if this lawyer has a case and is able to maybe get some retribution. The problem is, is the guys whose careers were ended early and held out. There's, they have no, maybe they get, maybe they get um, compensated financially, but they can't go back and play that season that was lost. So that's the most unfortunate part to me. If in fact, what this lawyer is claiming turns out to be true. All right. That's a good time to take a break after that heavy, heavy conversation. I'm going to get a little bit more coffee uh, and I'll let the uh, sponsors have uh, a little bit of a say here. And I will start that with a little bit of a read, not a little bit, a read. Uh, Support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the great work they've been doing in our community for over half a century, and we appreciate their support of this podcast. We'll hear from a few more of our supporters and be back with more of your questions on the other side. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance is served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsors for helping us bring you these podcasts free of charge. No Patreon. None of, that, none of that hubbub. Um, we Most days, business days, Monday through Friday, we have a fresh Hawkeye-centric podcast in your feed. So please subscribe, like, all that good stuff. It helps us uh, with exposure and uh, helps us uh, continue to bring you these. Because uh, if we don't make money, we ain't doing them. Um, so appreciate if you solicit our sponsors. Um and uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is the flagship podcast with Pat Hardy and the guys from KCJJ. Uh, today, Tuesdays, the mailbag. And then on Thursdays, the Hotspot podcast streams live on YouTube, 9 a.m.-ish Central Time on Thursdays. Most weeks, we have to adjust sometimes. But should be there and be there on uh, on Thursday. This week, we'll be at 9 a.m. All right. Back to the board. Uh, 44MLess at 44MLess on Twitter. Hi, Rob. One of my favorite leisure activities is to read the newspaper and or 
a magazine, and I will always continue to enjoy those activities. Nevertheless, how surprised were you when you heard about what happened with SI? And what was your favorite cover? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite cover. I'm trying to think. It may have been the 85, the uh, April 1st of 19, I think it was 85. Uh, and it had the the Big East. It had, I think, Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing, and maybe Ed Pickney from Villanova. One of the Villanova, or was it one of the Villanova players? I can't remember, but it was just, I think the Big East had three of the four teams in the final four that year. And I was, a, I lived back East back then. Big, I was a big Big East fan. Um, and I thought that was awesome when I got that. Not as not as uh, memorable as a lot, I think, for people. But I think that's the uh, uh, that's kind of the uniqueness of it. Everybody had like a special cover. Um, there were some covers and stories that uh, you know that I tweeted about last week that were not good for the magazine, and I thought were bullshit. But um, it's hard when you've done this for that many years not to have some slip ups. Um, but that that April first edition in '85 was also the Sid Finch uh, edition, uh, where the April Fool's joke with uh, George Plimpton writing about uh, <laughs> Sid Finch. If you get a chance, I don't want to go down that road. It's 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 kind of involved. But um, if you weren't old enough and and don't know that story, uh, Google it and check it out. It was pretty good. Um, and as a Mets fan, it was hilarious. Um, uh, another one from Les, uh, based on what you've seen from him on tape, where does Kay Proctor, after his first season at Bama, compare to Tristan Wirfs after he finished his first year at Iowa? Yeah, Tristan didn't play the whole – didn't start the whole season. He ended up coming in, I think uh, – was it Ike? I think Ike Becker was the right tackle. Boone Myers was the left tackle. And Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs had to step in because both of those guys were injured. Alaric on the left, Tristan on the right. I think Tristan started the last half the season. I think he started about half the season uh, that year and got better as the year went on. And it was pretty obvious early on that, yeah, he can do this. And uh, I believe he was the first true freshman tackle to start at Iowa, um, started game at Iowa under Kirk Ferentz. And uh, I was pretty far along in Ferentz's career, so uh, that certainly spoke to it. But Tristan, um, I don't it, – it's a hard comparison because one was on the right, one was on the left, one was in the Big Ten, one was in the SEC. I would say that any true freshman that can start at a Power Five and play reasonably well as a true freshman – is in their own category, so to speak. I don't know how I would differentiate those two. It's hard for me to um, subtract what I know what Tristan Wirfs has become and what he became after that, which was the offensive lineman of the year in the Big Ten after his true junior year uh, before being a first-round draft pick. Um, So it's hard to say, okay – to focus in on that half season and say, where, how does that compare to, and it's a good question. I would have to go back and watch tape of both of them. And then even then I'm not a coach. It's just more of having watched football for 50 years and figured things out and 
know what to look for um, in most of the most cases. But um, I would say both of them being able to start as true freshmen in a power five at offensive tackle to me is really, really noteworthy and very, very impressive. Um, and I, I would say similar. Um, I'm not sure if I could differentiate between the two. I think if you look at what you have on the edge in the SEC, comparatively top to bottom to the Big Ten, it's going to be a higher level of player uh, for the most part. There are really great players in the Big Ten, but week in, week out, game after game, team after team, I think it's most seasons – the SEC is a little deeper. Um, now we've heard about Cadence struggles at times uh, at Alabama, but in the end he held up pretty well. And I believe the, the semifinal round of the college football playoff, again, going back to metrics, if you believe in them and follow them and buy into them, it's just, to me, it's just one component of evaluation. It shouldn't be, you know, absolute, but they graded Caden as the, the best offensive tackle, I believe, uh, during that weekend when it was Michigan, Alabama, Washington. Um, and who am I missing? Who did Washington play? Texas. Those were, of those four teams in those games, he was the highest ranked. So I think that gives you an idea of the potential there. And we'll see what happens. He's not a finished product by any means. Um, and we'll find out uh, where he can get to in his time here. Uh, e at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014 on the Twitter X. Do you think the Big Ten will come up with plans to prevent court storming and fan player injuries? Do you think ba- bad calls were the reason the Iowa women lost to Ohio State or not? Will Iowa's new OC be made available for questions at spring practice or not? So the last one, I would say yes, and uh, I would think that whoever it is, there will be an introductory press conference before spring practice. At least I would hope so for the two new hires. He's done that. He being Kirk Ferentz has introduced new assistants at press conferences pretty much every time he's hired somebody. So I'd expect that to be the case. And then um, we, I think we get, I think we get coordinators during the spring. If we do, it, it's not. I, I don't see any reason why they res- would restrict the new um the new hire from interviews um i do not think bad calls were the reason that i was iowa lost at ohio state i thought ohio state was the better team i thought there were calls that went that were questionable both ways and i, I got to see something pretty egregious to blame officials on the outcome of a game um because i am i'm of the belief that they're out there trying to do their best and at the end uh, most of these things have a way of evening out over time. Um, is it exact? No. Um, but I didn't feel like the officials cost Iowa in that game. Cost Iowa the game, I should say. Coffee sir. And then as far as the court storming, I think that's probably something that the Big Ten and the NCAA needs to look into. It's not safe. It really is. And I've been involved in them before shooting photos on the baseline at Hilton. 
and I was right in front of the student section. And I probably told this story on here before, so I apologize if it's annoying. But the students basically just ran over top of me. And I just like, almost like I was taking a handoff with both hands, if you can picture that, trying to get the ball. I had my camera cradled like that in my hands just to protect my equipment from being run over. But I got banged into pretty good. Um, that was the, I think that was the game where Randy Peterson from the uh, Des Moines Register uh, broke his leg, I think, trying to get out of out of the way of that or falling off, trying to move. Um, so, yeah, it's not – and that's just media people. That doesn't even include what can happen to the players. They're actually out there on the court when the storm is happening. It's just not safe, um, especially now when <clears throat> they're selling alcohol in the arenas, most of them. That can be – you just never know what what can happen in that, those scrums. And I've, it's bad at Kinnick, too. I've been involved in them multiple times. It's not, it's, it's scary to be honest with you. Um, and it's just, I get it. It's cool to see. It's, it's a celebration. It's, you hope that nothing happens, but you can't just rely on hope, right? You can't just say, oh, we got away with it that time. Nobody got hurt. I think, I just think for the safety of the players or just do something, make sure all the players from the opposing team, are off the court because it it happens when the home team wins, obviously, right? You're not going to storm the court if the visiting team wins, uh, at least not in a good way. So get the visiting team off the court and at their lo- into their locker room, and then if and hold the students back, and then if they want to come out and celebrate with the home team, let them do that. And that's only if if the home team is willing to be involved in a scrum like that where an injury can happen. So. It's my thoughts on that. Probably talk about that a little bit more on Thursday with Scott Dockerman as well. Uh, 44MLS is back at 44MLS. You noticed any difference in style of play with the rule change on eliminating one-on-one free throws in high school ball? Also, all states need to adopt the shot clock. I've seen offenses holding the ball for several minutes while defenses stay in the zone. Go Regals. In the rankings this week, Les. Number 10 in 2A, good to see. I'm a big believer in this Regina basketball team. I look forward to getting a chance to see them again, and I haven't seen them in a while, uh, but hopefully get out again soon uh, to see them. Uh, maybe that, I, maybe it's when, when they play West Branch again, I'll get a chance to see them. I haven't seen West Branch boys yet this year. But anyway, I digress. I haven't seen a huge change in strategy without the one-on-one. I like it better. To be honest with you, I like and I love the shot clock. I think that's been a a, a rousing success. The addition of the shot clock in high school basketball in Iowa just much better. I, I was worried that my my concern was that it would speed teams up and it would make the basketball a little bit ragged. It hasn't done that. Teams have adjusted because most for the most part, if you're playing basketball, you don't want to wait two minutes to take a shot. You want to play at least with some pace. Um, And this guarantees that there is some pace and you're not getting, you know, a pleasant Valley, just slowing the game down and making it a 30 to 28 game. I'm exaggerating, but if you watch pleasant Valley play before the shot clock, you know how deliberate and you could still be deliberate and be a half court team. You just need to run your sets a little bit more crisply, which I think is good. Um, So yes, I, uh, I agree with you. I, I I think everybody should adopt the shot clock. I know there's financial um, financial uh, 
missing ramifications, but it costs to do that, obviously, but it shouldn't be, shouldn't be anything that a school district shouldn't be able to, uh, I'm going to stop there on the, the school district and what, what they can and cannot do. Um, Jesse Lucier at Jesse Lucier. Do you think Proctor returning to Iowa will have an effect on Nick Brooks decision on Iowa? That's a, it's kind of a speculation thing. I know that he has not shut the door. He being Nick Brooks on Iowa. Um, I I don't think it can hurt. I'll put it that way, Jesse. Uh, I do not think it will hurt. And uh, maybe Caden can help uh, in the recruitment of Nick. And if in fact, um, Caden felt homesick. He can he can relay that to Nick and say, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener, for lack of a better cliche. Um, sometimes it's nice to be home and around family, and then there are other kids that go away and are fine. So it really comes down to Nick making the best decision for himself, and uh, you know. I think what would help most help Jesse would be Iowa's offense being better this year. I think that would be that would go the farthest in trying to convince Nick Brooks to be a part of the Iowa football program. That and probably some decent NIL money. Uh, another one from Jesse here. Football season ticket renewals were available yesterday. Yesterday being Monday, January the twenty second. Last offseason, you beat Scott in the prediction of ticket selling. What's your 2024 predictions? How many games sold out? I know it's hard to predict with no offensive coordinator. Yeah, I think that's part of it, your last point there. I think I, – I really do. I think public perception on who the offensive coordinator is can help sell tickets. I really do. I'm not – that's not hyperbolic at all um, because I think if you look at last year's offseason – the transfer portal additions headlined by Kane McNamara helped Iowa sell season tickets. Um, I get the sense that there are, there's some scar tissue after the last few years, despite winning all the games Iowa has, they've won 28 games in the last three seasons. I don't think how they've gotten to those wins has been fun for everybody. I think it's just, you know, you're like digging your nails in and, and trying to eke out a win because you can't score points. That that from some people that I've seen on on Twitter X and talked to in the community, it almost was like relief when Iowa would win instead of joy. And that's that's up to the in, each individual, right? But if enough people feel that way, that becomes a problem. And I. I think the if you look at the schedule, and I'll pull it up here, I think there are some games that will just naturally sell out just because of um, who's coming to town. And when I say that, I say Wisconsin, Nebraska, Washington, Iowa State. There's four right there that I think sell out. Um, and then your other ones are Northwestern. Uh, that is October 26th, and that's homecoming. Good chance of that selling out. Um, and that's pretty much it, right? Are those your Illinois State, the opener, and Troy? I don't think those games sell out. So I'll go Iowa State 1, Washington 2, Northwestern 3, Wisconsin 4, Nebraska 5. I'll go with 5. 
right now. But I reserve the right to change that opinion based on, as you said, the offensive coordinator hire uh, and maybe what else Iowa does in the transfer portal. Justin Frerichs at JJF27. Any update on Laje Dembele's injury? Uh, Fran updated us yesterday, Monday the 22nd. Uh, pretty sore from what Fran said, and uh, I would categorize him as in the questionable slash doubtful category for Wednesday's game against Maryland at Carver Hawkeye Arena. That's a 6 p.m. tip for those looking to catch some Iowa men's basketball. Nice early tip time in Iowa City uh, on Wednesday. But uh, questionable, doubtful, based on we don't know, you know, what he's looked like at practice yesterday and what he'll look like today. So that will determine it. And then Patrick McCaffrey, look, I would put him more in the questionable, probable range if I could do a slash injury terms. Um, so better chance for Patrick than Laje. Um, but could be a chance that neither one of them the plays. And that's uh, – Maryland's got some uh, – Got some height, got some length. So uh, uh, with Reese and some of the other bigs, uh, the Iowa, Iowa would benefit greatly from having Patrick and Laje uh, in the lineup, in the rotation on Wednesday. But we will see. Last one comes from Clint Harms. Uh, glass half full. Assuming KF's cronies turned down the off- offensive coordinator job, could KF finally realize there's more than just a tweaking here and there that needs fixing to this offense. Again, I'm assuming coaches who are a lot like him are saying, no, thanks. I don't know if that's the case, Clint. Um, I know, again, going back to earlier in the podcast where I say when there's not much transparency and a assistant coaching hire last three months, it's going to lead to speculation and rumors and assumptions that they probably shouldn't. I don't know that Paul Christ was offered the job and turned it down. That's out there. Um, and I don't know if that came from Paul. Um, I don't know why he would lie about that if that was the case. I don't know who else has been offered. Have other people turned it down? Who's interviewed? All of those things we don't really know. Um, there just has not been much transparency there. So, no, I I to to the base part of your question, is there going to be some revelation from Kirk Ferentz that, eh, the heck with it. We don't need to play complimentary football. We'll just fire the ball around and then the defense can, you know, pick up wherever we leave it. No, it's <laughs> what the Iowa foundation and fundamental and philosophy of football of Kirk Ferentz may tweak, as you said, it's, there's not going to be an overhaul. I would be very, very surprised if that's the case. I'm never shocked anymore when it comes to college athletics, but I certainly would be surprised if there's a complete overhaul and a change of philosophy from Kirk Ferentz after going doing this for a quarter of a century. So I'm not laughing at you, Clint. I'm just laughing at the situation. Um, all right. Let me check underneath my tweet from last night to make sure I did not. Yeah, there's Emily. For some reason... Emily uses the hashtag HFmail, and it does not show up when I search the hashtag. Go figure. I don't know. Maybe it's 
maybe Elon Musk has a has something against us, Emily. I'm not sure. But anyway, I did find your questions because I saw them when they came through last night. So I'm glad I went and looked. What do you think Beth Getz's first order of business as AD will be? Um, I honestly think it's um, so she's been an interim, so she doesn't have to start from scratch. She probably has a pretty good idea of the lay of the land and what needs to be done. I really think men's basketball, women's basketball, wrestling, those are your three sports after the front porch, which is football. You got to address Carver Hawkeye Arena. I I don't know what you do. Um, The women's basketball team, great attendance right now, but I think it's fair to say when Caitlin leaves, that's going to drop off a little bit. So you're going to have to – Keep the fans that you got have now that that became engaged because of Caitlin, the Caitlin Clark effect. Um, find ways to keep them. Build the men's fan base back up. Move the students. Renovate the facility so it's more fan friendly, um, and that will help wrestling as well. Obviously, wrestling is more of a niche, and people that love the sport love it, and they fill Carver, and it's a great environment. Um, but really, just I think addressing that building and figuring out how to make those sports more attractive for the fans and, and make it a better fan experience, whether it's parking or uh, again, renovating the arena, having have, instead of having making somebody go from the bottom of Carver Hawkeye arena and walk all the way to the top for bathroom break or to get something to eat, you can't have obviously put porta potties like in the the in the sections of there, but maybe there's a way to, you know, it's hard to explain, but that arena there are parts behind the west area that you could have a concourse there with bathrooms and maybe some concessions, but at the very least, have ushers have. Um, people sell concessions in the stands so people don't have to get up and miss the game and wait in line. It's 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 not fan friendly. It's outdated. It's obsolete. So figure that out. I think that's her first order of business. Um, and then compile that list as Scott and I talked about on the podcast uh, Thursday, the hotspot. She's going to have to replace most likely as long as she stays in the position. Kirk Ferentz, Lisa Bluter. Fran McCaffrey, and possibly Tom Brands. She needs to be prepared for that and network with people in the business to put a list together of potential candidates so the hiring process becomes easier. Um, And we saw Barta go through it with men's basketball, and it was not smooth. So she could certainly learn from that. Um, and then last one from Emily, and we'll get out of here. Do you think men's basketball getting to a Sweet 16 would fix fan apathy? I think it would help. But again, what I mentioned about renovating and updating Carver-Hawkeye Arena would also help. Um, and and um, maybe just, you know, more specials and giveaways and things like that in Carver-Hawkeye Arena that, that, you know, would attract people. Um, And you can say, well, if the basketball team's good enough, they'll come. That's true. They will. Um, 
But the basketball team's been pretty good. It hasn't been to the Sweet 16, but again, four straight NCAA tournaments, and there have been crowds this year that were just embarrassing. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot to do there. The Sweet 16 would help, but I don't know if it would fix it, Emily. I, I have my doubts about fixing it. Um, I don't know what it is. It's a conversation. Uh, Scott Docterman wrote a story about it in The Athletic about apathy for men's basketball. It's a, It's a topic that I've been talking about and having discussions about since I got here in 1997. Because if you remember back to when Tom Davis was let go, it was because of a decrease in attendance. And it's gone downhill since then. Um, It wasn't Tom Davis. There obviously was the Pierce situation, and some fans have never come back from that. Um, But all of those things are factors but you now have to figure out how to fix it. And that, uh, that falls at Beth's feet, and we'll see what she can do about it. All right, folks, that is uh, all the questions we have. Those are all the questions we have in the queue. I appreciate everybody reaching out, sending me questions and comments. Uh, most of you folks are regulars, and I appreciate your patronage. Um, we'll do it again next week on Tuesday, January the 30th. Um, I will be back on Thursday with Scott Dockerman, 9 a.m. live stream on YouTube. I will fire that out on Twitter when we go live, so check for that. Um, until, until then, be well, be safe out there on the roads if they're nasty, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of days. Peace.